My name is Anthony Fatsis and welcome to the What The Finance podcast, where we interview finance, trading, investing experts to help you understand current market trends and learn about the intricacies of new and existing assets. Uh, One thing is clear, when money is tight, and by tight, I mean really tight, uh, high yield bond spreads vis-a-vis treasuries explode. In other words, you would see a huge increase in spreads. This hasn't happened yet. Uh, The spreads have actually uh, been very steady at the low level compared to previous financial crises when the money became tight. Secondly, when money is really tight, you have very little speculation. Hasn't happened yet. There's a flurry of speculative activity in anything, anything that seems to be moving. The money flows in, the money flows out. There's plenty of liquidity. Now, if you tell me that the worker in America uh, is suffering from less liquidity because he has uh, real wages that no longer cover his expenses and that he has to wait for his salary to arrive at the end of the month in order for him to pay the bills, that is, I would agree with. But in the financial market, I don't see any tightening of liquidity. On this episode of the What the Finance podcast, I have the pleasure of welcoming back Mark Faber, who's editor and publisher of the Gloom, Boom and Doom Report. So Mark, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me on your program. So it's probably a I'm great honor. F- oh, thank you. And you're one of our most uh, popular guests. So yeah. we're very happy to ha- have you back. Uh, well, and yeah, as a contrarian, as a contrarian investor, popularity is undesirable. <laughs> it's not a good thing there. Might have to change some things. <laughs> but um, in, our, in our last conversation, uh, it was sort of about six months ago, uh, so in April, seven months ago now, uh, and we were speaking about the risk of there being quite a long bear market uh, in sort of many of the markets that have performed quite well, so the US uh, and other developed markets, uh, and you were saying they were quite overvalued. So are you still sort of seeing that? perspective do you still think they're quite overvalued and there could be this long bear market well the world is a very big place and as you know we have uh, different uh, economic developments in different sectors and in different uh, regions of the world so to give you a summary what i see is still a huge overvaluation in American uh, high-tech stocks, in the Fang and Fang-related stocks of Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Apple, Microsoft, and so forth, and semiconductors, NVIDIA. And then I see the low valuations relative to the high valuations in, uh, say, sectors like energy, uh, oil in particular, and uh, in mining stocks, and then in the world, uh, emerging markets uh, now are at the lowest level they have ever been compared to the US. I mean, they were cheaper compared to the US in the 70s, but this was an extraordinary uh, time. 
But other than that, they are now very, very low. And say, if we talk about cheap uh, uh, cheap stocks, uh, I was looking the other day at the Hong Kong land. It's a large property owner in Hong Kong and throughout Asia, they own properties and develop properties. And it's a reasonably well-managed company and not too much leverage. But it sells, the price is now 0.22% of book value. Now, I'm not saying that Hong Kong property prices will go up. I think they can go down another 30%, maybe, or even more. But I doubt they'll go down 80%. So you have a fairly large cushion (laughs) against disaster. And uh, my view would be the patient investor who buys stocks like that and also in China, uh, if you travel around the world, everybody's negative about China. Have they sold out uh, all their shares in China? I doubt they still have stocks. But at the present time, there's practically no buying interest in China. And then Latin America is also a continent where valuations are low and where people have uh, probably not much investment. But if you think about World War III, and I have friends who are very well informed, their principal concern is World War III. It's not my concern because of my age. (laughs) And also because of the location where I live. But basically it could happen. And in that case, you should have some investments in Latin America because Latin America would unlikely be a war theater. (laughs) The war theater would likely be, say, in Eastern Europe, Middle East, and maybe uh, on the North and South China coast, something like that. But uh, it, it would unlikely be in Brazil and Argentina. So for that reason, I think some people or investors should have some money in Latin America. Okay, it's really interesting. So do you think they, and I've, I've heard this opinion recently, and I thought it was quite interesting that if we look at the past 40 years, duration was rewarded. So say, uh, you know, longer bonds or uh, growth stocks that you assume are going to grow in the, into the future. But do you think maybe we've seen a shift where it's going to now be the shorter duration, so short-term bonds, all those high cash flow uh, companies that are going to be rewarded? Well, I mean, long-term bonds were good investments between 1981 and 2020, but have been a disaster in the last three years. And in fact, as a contrarian, I'd say long-term bonds, having collapsed, and it's never happened before in history, but if you think about it, why did it happen? It happened because of central bankers. Central bankers uh, first pushed interest rates down to unprecedented low levels in the history of mankind, and then interest rates uh, these low interest rates fueled a wave of speculation and an inflationary environment combined with the fiscal deficits that we had. And so inflation exploded on the upside and interest rates then rose, uh, whereby in the 70s, when interest rates, uh, when inflation was at the present state, 
interest rates on the 10-year treasury bonds were much higher than 5%. Already in uh, 1974, on the 10-year treasury, uh, in uh, the U.S., rates went to over 12% on the 10 years. And then when inflation accelerated thereafter into 1980-81, interest rates went over 15%. So I think we are in the early stages of the interest rate increase. But that is a long-term view. Short term, I think the interest rates may come down somewhat in the next six months. Because and this has been my view for nine, more than six months, my view is the U.S. and Europe are already in recession. If the figures, if the statistics were properly measured, but the governments are very good at lying to the public all the time, and so they tell the public their GDP is growing, when in fact, the real incomes, real incomes are your salary increase compared to the cost of living increases. That everywhere the, for the middle class, for the ordinary people, everywhere, uh, the cost of living are going up more than the salaries. In other words, their standards of living are going down. The standards of living of government officials, they go up. And of the 1% or 0.1% of the wealthy people. Okay. So you're, you're saying that we're already in a recession. Um, I, I guess. Correct. Maybe yes. Yeah. What are your thoughts on unemployment? Because it's, it's actually remained quite low. Do you, do you think that's being measured correctly or it's the wrong measure to look at? It's probably measured halfway correctly, but not 100%. And uh, we have to see one thing, employment could stay low because people are uh, disabled. You know, if you uh, have an insurance, if you have social policies that reward disabled people, instead of becoming unemployed, someone may report himself as disabled. Like I, as an economist, I may become disabled when I look at the quality of our governments. I may became, become insane. <laughs> Definitely seems to have that <laughs> impact. So what you're saying is there's more, maybe uh, even though unemployment's remaining quite low, oh, quite low, it's just the pool that they're measuring. So there might be a lot of people outside the pool of the unemployed that they're not measuring that, as you said, could have disabilities. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yes, that is what I mean. And I'm convinced that in most countries of the West, uh, unemployment is very low uh, because uh, some people find it more advantageous not to work. And also, as I said, uh, by reporting as disabled, you're not being in the army of unemployed people. And the second reason why unemployment is low is that people simply don't want to work. You know, in France, uh, they work 35 hours a week. I think, I mean, of course, people look at me as a right-wing pig. Uh, But in my view, people should work as long as they like. 
and not as long as the union tells them they can work and so forth. And if a teacher wants to work 50 hours a week or 80 hours a week, it should be able to do that. Like I work much more than 50 hours a week because I work Saturdays and Sundays and every day of the year. I don't take holidays uh, at the present time because traveling is now so unpleasant compared to what it was before 9-11 and before COVID and so forth. Yeah, okay. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so then from your perspective, uh, the US is in a recession. When do you think it will come through the data or, or you just you don't think that will happen? They'll continue to maybe push forward these uh, different data points that are showing that well, the economy is uh, growing. I think it will, it, in time, it will become obvious, you know, the, that uh, the living conditions are deteriorating and uh, people will then want to have a change. But maybe the government will not, uh, you know, the, the problem is, the problem is, if I were a politician and I wanted to get elected and I wanted to do something for my country, I would have to go to the people and tell them, look, we're spending too much. We have to cut government spending and uh, we have to increase taxation. How many votes would I get? Zero. How do you go and tell the veteran of the army and navy that the pensions will be cut? How do you tell the firefighters and how do you tell the policemen that the pensions will be cut and at the same time the taxes go up? So the solution is we have inflation. We can tell the people inflation is because of Putin and because of Hamas and because of what not. But not, we don't tell them that inflation is a tax that arises because we don't collect enough taxes in the first place. And because we spend too much. So this is a convenient lie. Yeah, and it links quite well to my uh, next question, which is uh, actually you released some uh, work recently, which t talks about your opinion on what, what the Fed is doing. So if I, if I quote it, and I think I heard uh, you talk about this in another interview, which I really enjoyed. So uh, the quote is, in my opinion, the Fed is actually misleading the public by pretending that it's tightening monetary policy, when in reality it is pursuing policies which are likely to increase inflationary pressures and to depress real wages, which seems to be like what we're talking about now. So <laughs> in your opinion, how, how is the Fed doing this? Because I guess a traditional people would say they're increasing interest rates, they're doing quantita quantitative uh, tightening. They are tightening. Yes, uh, this is uh, the conventional view. But I can tell you, instead of listening to the words of Fed officials, I think by looking at the market action, uh, you can get some clues whether money is tight or not. Uh, one thing is clear, when money is tight, and by tight, I mean really tight, uh, high-yield bond spreads vis-a-vis -vis treasuries explode. In other words, you would see a huge increase in spreads. This hasn't happened yet. Uh, the spreads have actually uh, been very steady at the low level compared to previous financial crises 
when the money became tight. Secondly, when money is really tight, you have very little speculation. Hasn't happened yet. There's this flurry of speculative activity in anything, anything that seems to be moving. The money flows in, the money flows out. There's plenty of liquidity. Now, if you tell me that the worker in America uh, is suffering from less liquidity because he has uh, real wages that no longer cover his expenses and that he has to wait for his salary to arrive at the end of the month in order for him to pay the bills. That is, I would agree with. But in the financial market, I don't see any tightening of liquidity. Also, the VIX index, the volatility index for shares, uh, is low. Actually, last week, when the market rallied, the VIX index uh, fell by 37%. This is a sign that liquidity isn't tight. Now, I'm not uh, an expert on how to measure precisely where the money is allocated. But just looking at these uh, indicators would suggest to me that liquidity isn't tight enough. Also, if you think about, say, Turkey, the rate of inflation in Turkey, say, 100%. Deposit rates are also around 100%. So is money tight in Turkey or not? Interest rates are high, but this is something that Milton Friedman already explained very carefully. The absolute level of interest rates does not tell you whether money is tight or not. We could have high interest rates, uh, but no tight money. And in the 70s, because I started to work precisely in January 1970. So I experienced the end of the 1970 bear market, the recover into January 73, and then the bear market 73, 74, and the recovery and the gold bull market, the commodities bull market, and the inflation acceleration throughout the 70s. Now, with the inflation, it was like this in 74, the 10 years treasury yield was already over 12%. But then inflation cooled down in 70, uh, in the second half of 74, 75, and until the summer of 76. And after the summer of 76, inflation accelerated again. So uh, was money tight? It became tight in the recession 73, 74. But only for a brief period of time, the 70s were characterized by interest rates being negative in real terms. In other words, money never was really tight until Volcker squeezed the system in 1979, 1980, and they pushed interest rates on the short end to over 20%. So then money became tight, and we had a period of disinflation that followed. But in my view, uh, looking at the market action, uh, money isn't tight at the present time. 
if I push back on that, it seems I, I agree with you in terms of maybe assets. And as you said, there's lots of speculation. But then if you look at the real economy, it does seem that money's quite tight there. So lots of people, there's not as much debt being issued and other factors. So do you think there's a disconnect maybe between those two markets? Yes, this is the tragedy of ill-conceived monetary policies by the Fed members. And uh, you have to see the Fed members are not working for the poor man. The Fed members are all uh, marionettes, puppets of people with money. And they favor policies where they can say, well, we're tightening monetary conditions. We fight inflation. No, they don't fight inflation. They like inflation. Every government, when they are faced with uh, fiscal deficits and uh, with the choice to go to the people, especially in front of an election, ahead of an election, how do you think Biden would be perceived if he went to the American people and said, we have to increase your taxation? The rich people never paid taxes in history. Uh, they paid a little bit, but not much. Uh, the taxes usually fall on the upper middle class and the lower middle class and the workers because they are salary recipients. There, you have a precise accounting of how much someone earns. The rest is difficult to measure. Okay, makes sense. So if we, if we look at the short term, you were saying that maybe we, you know, we already are in a session, we could potentially see disinflation. But then I guess from your perspective, the longer term trend is going to be higher inflation for longer. The, the, the point is this, the price level say goes up. Let's say we estimate here, we're not sure. But say the price level today is up 30% vis-a-vis 2019. And then from this level, the prices drop by 3% or 5%. We're still up more than uh, 25% vis-a-vis 2018, 2019. But then the central banks will say, well, now we have deflation. We have to ease. They're waiting for an opportunity. Okay, that makes sense. So if we go back to, and this is, uh, still, still on bonds. Uh, if you go back to, I guess, 1940s, 50s, after the war, uh, there were these bonds and they were drastically devalued due to higher interest rates, higher inflation, et cetera, which was sort of like a di- di- distribution away from sort of wealthy individuals to the working people. Do you see something like that happening in the future or do you think it's potentially going to be the opposite? Well, in the back of my mind, uh, I think we had colossal asset inflation, 1981-82 to, say, 2020. Irregular. Some markets peaked out in 2015, Japan already in 1989 and so forth. But by and large, we were in heaven for asset prices. You look at real estate. I thought 2007 would be a major high for U.S. real estate. No, it went down for two years, and then it went and made new highs, remarkably. But now 
the situation. Some people call it the Pax Volkeriana, Volker, Volkeriana, because uh, Volker, he brought about monetary policies that uh, had uh, a disinflationary impact. He broke the back of inflation. It, inflation, in my opinion, would have come down regardless, but he implemented monetary measures that accelerated the shock to the system. We also had a colossal recession in 81, 82. Unemployment jumped to over 12% at the time in America. Now, this period of glamour for stocks, bonds, real estate, collectibles, art, uh, anything is over. Why? Because interest rates are going up gradually. Say, in my case, I benefit. This is also a reason why uh, the tightening doesn't work so well at the present time. I had cash because in my business, I need a lot of cash to run the, the investment business. But I also had cash because I wasn't very bullish about the asset markets in the last 12 months. So suddenly now I can get on a yearly deposit or nine months deposit or six months deposit. I can get five and a half percent yield. Two years ago, I got half a percent. So my financial position, my cash flow position has improved. It may go down because I own dividend stocks and if the corporate earnings collapse, then the dividends will be cut. But I'm just saying some people have actually benefited from the increase in interest rates, whereas others that have large credit cards, debt, student debts, variable mortgage debts, they are all suffering and they will continue to suffer. So your observation is absolutely correct. The monetary policies by the central bankers, it shows how ignorant the central bankers really are. The policies that they implemented have hurt the poor people and benefit people that have assets like myself. It's crazy. So what should they do? Should they tighten? They should all resign. That is the first thing. We need new uh, people at central banks that are people that have been running a business, that have some business experience, that know how tough it is to run a business, to pay the employees, uh, to cope with all the government interventions and the regulations and new laws all the time. And uh, that, uh, and then at the end, to show a profit and not to go bankrupt and how to obtain uh, subventions by the government and then then i mean it's an endless mess but the people that we have at the fed are people mostly they have never worked a day in their lives in the private sector they all went to university in the university they were brainwashed by communist and socialist teachers most teachers are socialist communists. They never the teachers, the university professors never worked in a job. We are in a 
dictatorship of the bureaucrats, the worst type of system you can have, because in a in a kingdom, in a feudal system, you can get rid of the king by killing him, by you know eliminating him, and starting a new dynasty. But in a bureaucracy, who do you, nobody's responsible? They all say it's the other department. Soon as something goes wrong, I I just followed my orders. That's the bureaucracy. When you go through airport, if you complain, they say I'll just follow my orders. The other day, I mean not not the other day, about two years ago, I went through an airport in America. And I ordered a beer. In the, in the in a bar at the airport, you know what she asked me? Can I see your ID card? I said, "Well, what do you need an ID card?" Well, we have to check your age. I said to her, "Look, if I look as younger than twenty-one, <laughs> unbelievable." I follow my orders. How can you run a business with follow your orders? Where's the creativity? People don't want to be responsible. They want to follow orders. So, so say if you were uh, the Fed chair, if uh, they they got some sense and they elected you in, what what changes would you make? Well, the change would be very unpleasant. That I guarantee you, because uh, I would say to the government, "Look, I'm not financing your deficits anymore. Either you bring your fiscal house in order." Or you'll have sky-high interest rates. And the government, the governments now suffer from rising rates. Keep this in mind. So the governments will try to lower rates, which will be inflationary. Yeah, I, I can't. But I mean, <laughs> I want to give you, before I need to go, but I want to give you one or two ideas. Uh, I think that if I look at the last uh, two years, end of 21, uh, Turkish stocks were very cheap. And then I wrote two reports about Turkey. And then, of course, the Turkish uh, readers and so forth, they wrote to me that everything is bad in Turkey and that the currency will go down and so forth and so on. But in 2022, the Turkish market went up by 100%. And uh, then in at the end of 2022, uh, I looked at Iraq as a stock market. It was very depressed. This year, the Iraqi fund is up something like 90%. So there are always opportunities. I think Hong Kong properties are very cheap. Uh, property stocks are very cheap. Chinese stocks are inexpensive. Pakistan is uh, written off, essentially, but the stock market is very low. And Pakistan is not uh, a country that is hopeless, uh, not at all. They have an educated class, and I think from this low point, the market could actually do quite well. So there's a Pakistan ETF that I would essentially buy. And then uh, in Latin America, Brazil is inexpensive, and Colombia, very cheap. 
Okay. Um, and then if I, uh, so I guess a lot of people were talking about currency exposure and risk. And then you mentioned there that there's ETF. So if someone wanted to get into some of these countries, which are, have less liquidity, would you say the best way is in through an ETF? And then for, I guess- For yeah. individual investors. Before, I used to go to these countries and open a brokerage account. But now, due to my age, I don't do it anymore because I'm in the last 10% of my lifetime. So I, I have to start thinking about my family and so forth. But if I were young, I would go and open a brokerage account. I had brokerage accounts in Pakistan before and also in Colombia and in Argentina, Brazil, and so forth. Yeah, and a lot of these countries have those. I remember trying to invest in Vietnam uh, just by stocks, and you have to, as you said, set up a brokerage account in those countries. You can Sometimes you can do it virtually, like online, but it's still that added complexity compared to other markets. It's quite difficult to open an account in Vietnam still. Other, mar other markets are easier, but... Uh, there are custodians that, that can execute orders for you in these markets. Mm, okay. So if I, if I throw out a few, <laughs> a few countries and then maybe you can give your opinions on them. So a few that I think uh, look quite interesting, um, I Indonesia, uh, Mexico, and then, you know, maybe just Argentina, just because as you said, it's sort of uh, lots of volatility there. What do you think of those markets in particular? Yes. I think Argentina is attractive. Uh, the market has gone up already quite a bit, but I think it can go higher. Indonesia, 100% agree. The fundamentals are equally compelling as India, but the market valuations are much lower. So I have investments in Indonesia, and uh, I think the potential is good. I also have in Malaysia. The Malaysian market has done relatively well in the last three, four months. And Mexico... Uh, I don't have much in Mexico, but I have some bonds of Mexican companies, but dollar bonds. But I, And the market has done well. The currency has done well. Uh, I know some people in America, they're very bearish about Mexico. But that view I do not share. I think the country is, uh, I mean, the central bank of Mexico is a very responsible central bank. And I think the country has a great potential. Okay, great point. So Mark, thanks again for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, my last question is, what is one message you'd like people to take away from our conversation? Well, I, that's a very good question. Uh, the main argument I want to make is we had, you understand, the central banks and the public, they think of inflation as an increase in the price of your groceries. Uh, that, I think, is a symptom. Another symptom of inflation is an increase in the value of your property, an increase in the valuation of your stock portfolio, and so forth and so on. So, once we have this in mind, that price increases of assets and of consumer goods and services are all symptoms of inflation, then we measure inflation as an increase in the liquidity of a country like 
the money supply or the, the monetary base and the different measures how to measure the size of the money pot. But anyway, it would seem to me that the wave of asset inflation we had 1980, 81 to approximately 2020, that this golden age of asset prices going up is over. Now, from here on, investors should contain their expectations. And in some cases, they have to maybe live with the fact that in 10, 20 years' time, uh, their portfolios in real terms, inflation-adjusted, will be down. If you bought stocks in America in 1964 or 66, by 1982, inflation-adjusted, you were down. And I believe inflation-adjusted, a lot of assets will go down. Now, in life, if you have a hundred, and in 10 years' time, you wake up and have only 70. As long as all the other people are down to 50, you have increased your relative wealth. On the other hand, if you have 100 and you go to 150, you may feel good. But if all everybody else has 200, it's in real terms not desirable. So I would not worry too much about losing money as long as you lose less than other people because then your purchasing power goes up. And so I try to communicate to investors the returns going forward uh, on assets will be disappointing. Now, I mentioned these special situations before because even if the overall returns are disappointing. You can still find here and there an asset that goes up a lot. This year, sugar has performed very well. Other commodities haven't done well. Gold has done okay, nothing special. But in my view, precious metals in physical form are still attractive. And I would uh, use the present weakness, uh, especially if it extends a bit more, as a, uh, an entry point. Okay, makes sense. Okay. So I, I guess what we're taking away from this is uh, not the death, but the underperformance of maybe the passive investor. And then look, you're going to have to be more active and looking for these opportunities, which we've talked about in these. Yes, I think so. Yeah. And diversify. So you diminish your risks. Perfect. So Mark, thanks okay. again. So if anyone wanted to find if they liked our conversation, which I'm sure they did, where would they be able to find what you do? Well, the, I have this website, Gloom, Boom, Doom. It's also the name of my report, Gloom, Boom, and Doom Report. And uh, on this website, uh, Gloom, Boom, Doom, all in one word, dot com, they can uh, see roughly what uh, what information we can provide. <laughs> Perfect. I'll put that all in the description. So thanks again for your time. Yes, very kind of you, Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts are released. I hope you're leaving with some great value about investing, trading and finance. See you on the next show.